Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Kara, how are you feeling? I feel good. Yeah. Why? Why do you I'm ask me? Uh, this is especially important that we both get flu shots. Have you gotten your flu shot this year? I, of course, I get them like in like May. Whenever the first come out, I am first in line for a flu shot. That said, I got very sick this this winter um, with the flu, um, yeah. and so which was interesting. Um, but I do. I take care of myself. I, I consider wearing masks, but then I don't because my brother's doctor, he said they're useless. I read that. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and everything else. But we're going to go to the big story because it's affecting the stock market right now. Yes. Um, coronavirus uh, is now really affecting the global supply chain. It's now being possibly moved into pandemic. Um, there are cases of coronavirus in Italy, the first outbreak in the EU. And we later we're going to have an expert coming in for Friends of Pivot to explain to us everything we need to know. But it is having a very big uh, impact on 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 stock, especially tech stocks, especially because of the global supply chain and 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 markets and and every and move people moving around. So, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, it's it's interesting just the way you framed it at the opening of the show, and I think it's indicative of where where we've kind of come as a society. And that, as you said, so this the virus looks like it might be a pandemic. The number of cases reported outside the U.S. has doubled in the last four days, which is obviously a scary stat. And then the second thing you said is that it's having an impact on the markets. And it strikes me, I heard something funny. Someone said, you know, the worst thing that could happen or the worst thing that might happen if this if the coronavirus turned into a pandemic and wiped out the species is that it might affect the economy so we should be really mm-hmm. scared and that <laughs> is it, we everything is x and y and the y to everything is what's going to happen to the markets and the economy and it, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've noticed this change or maybe i was just so clueless but i when i was a younger man much less than a kid we didn't seem as obsessed we didn't immediately attach. We would have gone to uh, special interest stories around, you know, a young woman flying home to take care of her grandmother or something like that. We mm-hmm. would have talked more about the human toll. And it just strikes me as we've gone full contact capitalists when everything, the, the, the analysis around everything is a function of what's going to happen to my 
401k today. That's right. Yeah, that's a really good point. That is an excellent point. But, I mean, it's really hard not to not to focus on that yeah. because the economy has been going great gangbusters, especially pushed by tech companies, um, I think is the great engine of this. Yeah. Um, and here we have this virus that, you know, the analog tends to uh, to overwhelm the digital in, in seconds, really, without without a problem. And I do I agree with you. There are there it's a it's a it's a more human story. Um, but at the same time, it does have global implications, especially uh, around this global supply chain, especially because our economies are so based on, uh, on on the movement of people and goods across the world now in, in, in a interrelated way. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens around policies, around how you can restrict people's tra- uh, travel, individual freedoms, how people— I mean, I said, I asked you if you got a flu shot, because what I was going to say is I've read over the weekend, it made a lot of sense. Uh, everyone should get a flu shot because— well, you need to—what they don't want is the healthcare system being overwhelmed with people who have the traditional flu who think they have something else. And so it's especially important. And I'm, I'm, I'm someone who doesn't—I never—I didn't go to the doctor as a kid. I don't get flu shots. But anyways, I do think getting a flu shot seems especially important uh, right now, such that you don't get confused or panicked, because it definitely feels as if— there's two things here. There's the virus itself. Then there's the impression or the perception or, um, unfortunately, the, the, the panic and the fear that it might cause that starts to, that starts to shape um, human behavior. Anyway. Uh, but one of, one of the things that you talked about, though, is early on, remember you said you thought it was over, overhyped. Do you think it's overhyped now? The, the, How's that the, common uh, aging, Kara? Not well. That's aging? why I'm asking. But I'm saying, what do you, th- what do you, what do you imagine now is going to happen? So it's just, uh, you know, it's just dangerous with someone with no medical, as I'm learning, with no absolutely no medical training to make estimates. What you have found traditionally in the past and is that these things tend to be more hype than horror. But then just as we thought, and unfortunately, institutions matter and their credibility matters. And what you have now is people aren't trusting information coming out of China. And then when you hear that South Korea and Italy are starting to report cases and then, you know, the first – there's like this drip, drip, drip of scary news. First case reported in Afghanistan. I mean, this thing is starting – and it makes for great media because it is sort of this um, Hollywood-like monster mm-hmm. roaming the earth. So, you know, the, the honest answer is I'm not going to – the last thing I want to do is try and slow slow talk this thing and in any way reduce people's – people's precautions. But typically, if you look over the course of these um, outbreaks, they've, uh, talking about the economy, they usually end up being buying buy, uh, buying opportunities. Supposedly, the market, we record on a Monday, the market's clo- uh, opening opening down 900 points today. Uh, but the honest answer is I don't know. And I'm looking forward to hearing what our guest has to say. Absolutely. All right, next thing, Bernie Sanders winning big in the Nevada caucuses. We've talked a lot about politics last episode. We're going to talk more about tech this time. But again, it looks like, uh, speaking of that, he's marching right towards the uh, nomination, which I think has got everybody, like, dementedly worried. Um, I thought James Carville was going to have an aneurysm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris Matthews embarrassed himself all over uh, yeah. the internet yeah. at, uh, with the comparisons to the fall of France during the Nazi era, which was disturbing if it wasn't so demented. Yeah, um, that's a little much. But from a business perspective, is this like, what What do you imagine the impact will be from, you know, I don't even know the, I was thinking of writing a column on what does Bernie think about big tech? Um, obviously, he thinks they're too big. That's right. all I pretty much have gotten from him. But, and, and same thing with media. How do you look at this sort of, are you surprised by it? 
I think everybody was surprised by, I don't know if you were, you're, uh, you're, I think you have better political instincts no. than I do. I was shocked at the scale of the win because usually MSNBC does a breakdown and says, okay, college grads versus non-college grads. And it didn't matter which cohort, he won mm-hmm. them all. He literally won. Yeah. I think other than moderates over the age of 65 who had stayed, who had shirts saying, I hate Bernie Sanders, like he, he, he just barely lost that group. Other than that, he won. He absolutely dominated. And he's had... To his credit, and I'm trying to rethink my thinking as opposed to just becoming intransigent and entering my bubble and get angry and anger. He has had the best line of the entire election, and that is said, we have socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for everybody else. I thought mm-hmm. that perfectly summarized his his movement. What was interesting is on Friday, the markets, there was a lot of reports that the market, the stock market goes higher because the markets are going to assume that Trump's going to win and Trump's going to do whatever's required, even if it's borrowing against our kids' future, to try and artificially pump the markets. Uh, You're right. Everyone is freaking out. The entire narrative is that, okay, we have a nation that elects 100 senators. We have decided over the course of our history to elect one socialist, which reflects poorly or is a negative forward-linking indicator on his ability to win, that the election will be couched as a socialist versus a capitalist. But to his credit and to give him his win, he does seem to have ignited a great deal of passion among his cohort. And the other thing, and I'm, I, I want to get your sense, I'm wondering, have I just missed the boat here? Is this, the miss, is yeah. this, is this a pivot to a, a different mentality, a different view on the government's role, and he is that spark in igniting something. I actually don't think so. I think this is a disaster, but I want to take pause and say, no, is I don't going think it's a disaster. I have, I have thought a lot about this. It's interesting. One of my sons was, uh, which I, I talked to the young people, I like to talk to my younger people, um, was like, oh, people just like on the uh, Twitter. Angry, <laughs> yeah, on the Twitter. Um, people just like angry old men yelling at people about how everything sucks. So yeah. it's Trump, whether it's Trump or Sanders, people like this sort of complaint. I think they're both speaking. And I think Anand Girgard uh, had a really interesting take, even though, you know, he pretty much goes to billionaires suck the right. sideline right. all the time. Um, but I think he had a very good point is that these these middle parts, whether it was the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, there was this sort of standing class that sort of just assumes that they know best, right? right? right. And there's these other people that are like, just a second, like the way you've all been conducting things hasn't been good for a lot of people. And I do think whether you're on the Republican side or uh, or Bernie Sanders, and a lot of people who support Bernie Sanders then went to Trump, which is interesting, um, and, and seem to like this message of the the fix is in. And I think it has to do with big tech and big media and big everything that there's a fix is in for the elite versus you. And and I think that's, that's I think this is a bigger part. I think it, it'll have implications from a corporate point of view. Um, you know, Trump chooses to attack the deep state. Bernie Sanders is attacking the deep corporate, right? Yeah. That this is, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing in people's minds. It's that like, I everything's better. I don't feel better. I don't. I'm not doing better. Um, you know, whether it's my housing isn't as good as it was, or, or right. whatever, or healthcare's not as good as it was. Education, you know, yeah. it, it, frustration. And I think it does. And I think it does exemplify that this sort of love of, and I think tech is just the latest industry to be that, like. Um, or, or tech and media, really, I put them together. Um, people are tired, and I do think there's a, there's a there's a hopefulness. It's like we got to change things, and I don't think that's I don't think they're that they're different. Of course, Bernie Sanders is a, is a decent human being, and Trump is not in that regard. But 
Um, but I think it's this concept of things are not right and you know it. And I think, I don't think it's fear mongering. I think it's actually sort of saying it like it is. And yeah. I think people tend to like it. It's so we'll see. It'll be, it, it'll imp, imp, implications on, on big tech but, for sure. But purely from a product momentum strategy, I mean, elections really are the most interesting. If you ever really want to understand marketing, you need to get involved in an election because you have two products or multiple products. They have one day where everyone gets to buy and whoever gets 51% mm -hmm. wins everything and everyone else goes out of business. I mean, it is just full body contact of marketing. And right now we're in a situation where he has so much momentum. The only firewall, the only thing in between Senator Sanders and the nomination is Super Tuesday. And strategically, mm -hmm. if these guys were run by boards that had fiduciaries that could sit the CEO down every once in a while and say, okay, enough's enough. What you have here is sort of the perfect storm of bad things for moderates in the race, because basically Bernie has wrapped up, and no one really saw it coming, the progressive side. And, and Senator Warren, who in my opinion has shown the most what I'll call blue flame thinking and consistency through this whole thing, for whatever reason, she has not inspired uh, the far left as, as well as Bernie. And Bernie has basically soaked up all the oxygen and consolidated kind of the, the far left. And the moderates, we actually have two very talented moderates in, in Buttigieg and Klobuchar, who then had to contend with a guy with who came in and basically shock and on carpet bombed with ads. So the moderate vote is being split up just perfectly enough for Bernie to come in. And because it's going back to your guy, Clay Christensen, this notion of disruption is someone comes in and focuses on an yeah. overlooked niche. And the overlooked niche here was this Bernie bro, very left-wing, younger, younger voter that nobody took seriously. Typically what happens in disruption is no one takes that small part of the market seriously. They say, oh, Netflix is not a threat or, you know, this company mm -hmm. is not a threat. And then before you know it, you wake up and nobody attacked Senator Sanders. No one has really gone after him the way they've gone after each other because no one took him that seriously. And now they're waking up and this this little, this dog that was napping at, you know, nipping at your heels now has half yep. your torso inside its mouth he and is. it looks he's like it's too late. He's played yeah. it. He's played it. This is, this will go down as a great case study in disruption. And if any of these guys had boards or fiduciaries or there was a Democratic National Committee that had any sort of intelligence or authority or competence around its brand, they would probably be in a room right now with the moderates saying, okay, Bernie's Bernie's the winner here. Senator Sanders is going to win unless one or two of you drop out. Mayor Bloomberg, you have the money. You need to support Klobuchar. Drop out right now and devote all your funds, put all your guns but for air cover around Mayor Pete or Amy. Something has to happen strategically with the pieces on the board. Specifically, some pieces have to come They're off the board. But here's the thing. They all have a unique vision that they, they only they yes. feel they can. It has to be them. Yeah. has to be them. They're all for consolidation as <laughs> long as it's you. around them. <laughs> them, exactly. And, it's not going to happen. Yeah, so this I is— I think it's fascinating. This is a I think perfect the news story is who Bernie. does he pick? Uh, who does he pick as a vice president? Okay. It'll be interesting, the impact on corporate, because I think— uh, you know, especially if there's a full split government, very not very much will happen. But uh, but it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to uh, just big corporate. And big corporate these days is tech. You know, those are the biggest, most important. And, and what, did there's you, lots of, there's, what did you think of the story that, that he was briefed that it looks like the Russians are helping him? I thought he handled it really well. I never believe anything. The Russians are always putting out so much. I think I firmly believe. I mean, whatever Donald Trump says, he's he's lying about it. The Russians were uh, and his and his national security advisor should should step down, but he won't because they're shameless. Um, they were. They've been trying to keep 
Trump in power forever. And I think that's just part of it. Is to They think that Bernie would not beat Trump, but I think they should think hard, really hard uh, about that. I think there's, oddly enough, my mother was like, Bernie makes a lot of sense. I can't Lucky? believe my mother Lucky said Lucky's in on I know. Bernie? She really, she. I don't think she's in on him, but she certainly, he's appealing to her. And it's the same wow. sort of lizard brain thing that Trump appeals to her. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it's the same stuff. Anyway, we're going to move on from yep. politics. Okay. Uh, Morgan Stanley bought E-Trade, uh, biggest takeover since the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, you know, at-home uh, trade services, remember that was a thing? Yeah. Uh, it's a $13 billion deal. It's still a big company. Um, it brings 5 million retail customers, $360 billion in assets. Uh, the CEO, Michael Pizzi, uh, will stay with the company. E-Trade will keep its brand, a handful of retail storefronts, and a buzzy and well-funded ad campaign. I, you know, I, I spent 2000 at E-Trade when it was, you know, it was a, the hottest company at the time because of Y2K, if you remember Y2K. Right. But to see what would happen, everyone was deployed to a different company. I went to E-Trade in Yahoo that night. Um, you know, it was a hot company, and everybody was doing trading at home, and everyone thought it would grow to the moon, and there were all kinds of different things. And now, of course— this bank uh, comes in and buys it. Uh, it's just sort of, do you think it's the end of that idea of, or just that it's just now so integrated we don't need these separate companies? It is largely uh, probably signals that the sun has passed midday on these kind of independent trading platforms. And it, it, I think there's a lot here because it, it, this type of investing or trading stocks used to be both investing and consumption. It was meant to yeah. be a responsible way to accrete wealth and also... It was fun. Trading stocks is fun. Yeah. Now it's become yeah, clear. It's become clear that it's just consumption. That the guys, this entire industry called alternative investments, who supposedly had some unique insight into dislocation and alpha, they have underperformed the S and P, throwing darts at, at stocks by the amount of their fees. That one of the greatest yeah. kind of hoaxes in history was these uh, these guys, and they're all white guys in their 40s and 50s that clipped billions of dollars. And any sort of analysis looks like they have probably, after getting lucky the first few years, raising tens of billions in assets, and they have likely lost more money than they've gained. And they've yes. underperformed the market because nobody is going to pay XYZ Hedge Fund 2 and 20 to buy Netflix. And there's seven stocks that have been responsible for somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of the gains. So they have been locked out. They have to they have to beat the market with a, a less robust part of the market because all the gains have accreted to a small number of tech companies who run unfettered and have monopoly power, unregulated, so they capture all the gains. So there's been a massive reallocation of capital from active investing to passive, which mm -hmm. reduces fees, which creates lower commission structures, Schwab made a big purchase, I think it was of Ameritrade. But basically, these guys mm -hmm. are all getting sold for about $2,500 an account. It also reflects that the big banks have wised up and realized their traders are no smarter than anybody else, and they don't want right. to be in this roller coaster game of trading capital, which is expensive and hard, and wealth management is where it's at. The, the top 10% have massively grown their wealth. They need help. They need tax planning. They need to navigate all these taxes. They need to understand... Uh, estate planning. And so the the best part of this, the financial sector right now is wealth management. It doesn't matter if it's J.P. Morgan. It doesn't matter if it's Goldman Sachs. In addition, 
The only way you get multiple expansion is to position yourself, Kara, as consumer tech. So you have Goldman right. getting into Marcus, Goldman getting into credit cards, and now Morgan Stanley is effectively a consumer Fine. firm yep. that brings on, I think, an additional $5 billion in assets. I can't remember what yeah. it is. No, no, it's $5 million retail customers. This one's $360 billion in assets. Oh, excuse me, $360 billion. They paid $13 billion, about 2500 right. a person. So they're they're all becoming consumer banks because they realize right. the trading. And the other the other thing this indicates is again the greater consolidation of of power among a few players in every industry because the FTC and the DOJ are asleep at the switch. It's going to be so hard to really be a small point, financial services firm. How do you compete yeah. with the likes? And where does the innovation come from? Because these were exactly. the innovative companies at the time. Obviously, there's now the SoFi's. There's uh, there's all kinds of you know in each area, lemonade and insurance and things like that. But definitely, you know, the, cons- the, the that eventually they waited them out. And you know, you remember the days when everybody was trading was a home trader. I mean, that was exciting for a moment. Fun. And weird. And, and and strange and sports, yeah. yeah, exactly. But it really doesn't play itself out. In the end, people just get exhausted and just like here, take my money and be part of an index right. fund and this and that. And you can't do any better unless you're just you just made a great trade at the right. Like my my brother bought Apple very early when it was about to go bankrupt, and he just held, he just forgot he had it essentially, right. and that makes him a genius. Um, and so uh, so it's a really interesting time. It definitely signals the end of an era to me. Um, and you're right about this consolidation of this of, of the excitement around these companies like Ameritrade and E-Trade and the idea that financial services were really getting disrupted by the internet when, in fact, not so much. I'm curious. How not does so Kara much. Swisher invest? What do you do with your cabbage? How do you invest? <sighs> what do you buy? I have a banker. You have a bank. You have someone who helps you. You have someone who helps you. A lot of tax stuff. A lot of tax stuff. Yeah. A lot of tax. I talk about taxes quite a bit. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I don't. I'm not interested. I'm not that interested in money as you as you might be, Scott. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I've never cared that, that much to think about it, and I don't think I can beat the market. I never got interested. Oh in my God! If there, if there was I, ever white privilege summarized <laughs> in a sentence, I just don't care that much about money. No, but even I just don't like. I just don't. I just don't. I don't find it interesting. It's like you know why? Because finance became sports. Finance right. became sports, and I hate sports, so yeah. <laughs> that's no, why I, I got that. lack of. You know what I mean? Everyone was like talking about stocks, and you know, one of the I think I think maybe it was Bernie Sanders who said this, or one of them. I, everything now Bernie Sanders says is brilliant. Um, it's not um, when he said that the, the stock market is not the economy, and it's not. Right? Yeah. It's not the economy. 100%. And I, so I'm more interested in other things. And so I think we tend to equate uh, – Trump definitely does this, the stock market as the economy. See the stock market. He talks about it a lot when, in fact, it only represents, as you talk about, a very small group of people who are benefiting. Um, yeah. And it has nothing to do with the economy. But you just so, said something very interesting there. And that is one of the in, – in my second and my last class at NYU, I talk about life strategies. And one of those life strategies is that you want to figure out – if you can make the jump to light speed and get good at something – Key to, key, to, key to going from good to great is focus, and that is focusing mm-hmm. the capital that is most precious uh, at your stage of life, and that is your time and your attention. And to get great at anything, you have to ha- almost be maniacally focused on it. And part of that is figuring out what you're going to outsource. And if you have the money to have to outsource different parts of your life so that you can focus more on work, and I know how terrible that sounds, it's key to being great at anything. And I think a lot of young men spend way too much time thinking about the yeah. markets and trading stocks when it's not their core yeah. competence. And yes, the, a, a decent way to free up two, four, eight hours. I mean, I know a lot of young guys who buy options, buy Tesla, buy Bitcoin, watch it go up, yep. watch it go down. Some beat the yeah, market, some don't. talk to you don't. on Twitter. 
There I'm you go. I was talking to you on Twitter. There about you go. Scott. I, think, I just honestly, it's a waste of my time. I am exactly lucky enough right. to have that's exactly had a right. good education. I will make money most of my life. I worrying about making an extra. I just can't but if do you, it. if you I give your money to an ETF, diversified, low cost fee, and then take that yeah. two or four hours a week and focus on what yeah. you know you're good at, you can you yeah. can register a substantial increase in your excellence, exactly. thereby bringing more money. Or I could sleep. There That's you go. The there you go. I could sleep. Because it's like, I, I can't even look at the stock market anymore. It just gives me a headache. All right, last story, and then we're going to get to coronavirus, something yeah. happy with our expert, is Saudi Arabia. There was a story, another story about, um, it was more detail in BuzzFeed about the uh, the people who had worked for Twitter uh, and that they had infiltrated Twitter. Um, two employees, they turned into moles from 2013 to 15. Uh, these two men, one was an engineer, one worked in the in the media team, uh, stole identities, about 6,000 users who are critical of the Saudi government. And of course, it was just more detail um, about this, this idea of being, you know, infiltrating these companies and how this personal data was very easy to find and track down and that you could really track someone by when they signed onto Twitter or, or things like that. And so I think one of the, the, the it just, again, we talked about this before, but there's got to be spies all over Silicon Valley. And I wonder what they're doing to, to, to stop that, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Google. Um, but governments do understand that, you know, the reason they're robbing from banks is because that's where the money is. The reason they're moving themselves into these companies and trying to influence them is because that's where the information is. And that's the, that's the wealth these days. Well, if 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 it's any indication, you know how much they give a shit about teen depression or uh, our elections. The notion that they do anything seriously to ensure that their human capital hasn't been weaponized. I mean, these are organizations that don't want to talk about, don't want to acknowledge anything that gets in the way of of their scale, blitz, you know, blitz scale business model or or threatens, you know, bad PR. So blitz scale. That's that was a book. You know. Right. Is that who wrote that Blitz scale? Reed Hoffman. Reed Hoffman, yeah. That's the LinkedIn yeah. guy, right? So, yeah. look, I, I, we're going to find out, I think, in 10 or 20 years when these documents are unsealed and either we become a lesser power or someone takes over Russia and things are unsealed. We're going to find out that these organizations have effectively become the most innovative act of the last 10 years has been the weaponization of these platforms that we financed for the use of governments that are one-seventeenth the size of ours. Uh, the most innovative yeah. act of the last 10 years is detonating this weapon called Facebook in our face. Someone else shows up, steals our F-15s, you know, comm commandeers the aircraft carriers we've paid for times 100. And I think it continues to take place. People say I'm crazy, I, uh, you know, and paranoid. I may be both those things, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. I now believe I have either agents of the Russian government or Tesla bulls showing up on my blog, showing up in my Twitter feed every day, trying to create a narrative yeah. or undermine my viewpoint around certain things that are counter to their interests. Yes. Because why wouldn't you? For the cost of an F-15, you can hire 30,000 people in, in Albania to create a list of every entity and person that is counter to your interests and start, in a very meticulous, methodical way, start undermining your credibility. If I go on your Twitter feed, Kara, whenever you mm -hmm. talk about these issues and I see people who are, it's always the same thing. Like they try to come across reasonable, but say you're, you're wrong on this topic or they make a personal insult or they find something mm -hmm. that you're vulnerable around and start trying to create a fire around those issues. And I look at these people and usually 80% or 90% of them have 10 followers, 15 followers. You can't find out who they are. You are being stalked, Scott. 
Well, I think we all are. I think our nation is being stalked. Only the paranoid survive. Who said that? That was Andy Grove. That's right. Yeah. Anyways, uh, and so I, 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 the notion that these firms aren't being weaponized it, yeah. as a species, and this is very dangerous, and it's a vulnerability about our species. As a species, we are easier to fool than convince we've been fooled. And unfortunately, this is true. unfortunately, we have decided we are so offended by the notion that a nation one seventeenth the size of ours, Russia, has weaponized uh, almost. Every, every platform that we look to for innovation and as our poster child for America, it's so offensive to us that we would rather continue to be weaponized and fooled than acknowledge we've been fooled. And I think Twitter, I think Twitter is clearly has very little regard for the Commonwealth and the toxicity. So, what would you do if you were these companies? And then we're going to go to break and get back and talk about coronavirus. But um, what what would you do if you, you have all these people? You're hiring like crazy, right? You're always looking for good people, and you're expanding across the globe. In this case, the engineer was working on their Middle Eastern strategies that they were they were they were expanding there, and he was and the and the other person there was was dealing with getting prominent Saudis to come onto Twitter. This this guy worked on the media team. How do you vet people? How do you how do you know what what to do when you're hiring at such a speed and you can't monitor everyone? What is is there a solution of this is, you know, this is where the information is and this is where these governments want to be and you know, you're going to get pressure from these governments no matter what because it makes sense for them to do that. Well, I think the first is you have verified identities. I think a lot of this problem gets gets swept this up. This is the people on the sites, but I'm talking about employees. I would invite the FBI in and say, we want your help. This is an issue of national security, and we want your help screening and vetting employees. And then mm, you do a couple perp walks, and you have people leaving handcuffs. I think you got to scare the shit out of them. Yeah. So, but you don't, I don't think you can prevent it. And then on, online to have verified identities. That this would like cripple their businesses, you know that to have to do this. Well, okay, if it if if it does cripple their business, what it means is their business is being run on lies and falsehoods. So bring on the cripple. All right, all right. Well, that's a very that's a point of view. That's a point of view, Scott. I'm so I sorry. Have, the Russians I have a check are attacking mark. you. I have a, I have a blue check mark uh, next to yeah. mine. Don't you? Why yeah. can't they do yes, that for they everybody? Do. Well, there's a long story behind that. We yeah. maybe we'll get into Longer, it. At some uh, point, we need a bigger boat. <laughs> we need a bigger boat. It's it's expensive. It's expensive and what difficult, and they what do you messed think they up. Should do? I I don't think it's I think it's unavoidable that there are spies all over Silicon Valley. There's got to be 100%. like right. I've heard stories at Google, at YouTube, at at Facebook. Like, oh, did you know that person was thought to be a Russia? I think they need to just bring in really serious detective work when they're doing hiring, and I think they were they've been hiring at an unprecedented rate. And not doing enough vetting. I just think vetting is critical for these companies. These are like, you know, the way they vet Defense Department contractors and things like that. I think they've got to vet themselves. Like, they're like any other business that are part of national security. And I think it's really—they don't think of it like that because they're making, you know, apps for dating or whatever they're doing. But these are these are these companies, when people have this much access to this much data, there has to be more—there uh, has to be more vetting happening at these companies. And it all no falls question. back again to this other unfortunate narrative that the biggest issues facing our, our world, whether it's crumbling infrastructure or income inequality or climate change or, quite frankly, the weaponization of these—the uh, 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 perversion of our democracies at the hands of these platforms. And what do we do? We start cutting budgets across— all of the resources in governmental departments yep. that need them when we need them most, such that we can cut taxes on corporations and rich people. And the yep. wheel spins, Kara. And the oh wheel my God. spins. 
On this depressing episode of Pivot, we're going to talk about coronavirus when we get back. Yes, I think we both agree that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Anyway, we're going to take time for a quick break. Uh, We'll be right back with a friend of Pivot, Matthew Freeman. He is going to break down what is actually happening with the spread of coronavirus, and then we'll do wins and fails if we survive (laughs) this year. (laughs) Say goodbye. Say goodbye. It was good while it lasted. (laughs) I'm just glad I was here for Chipotle. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, we're back, and we have Matt Freeman here in the studio. He is an associate professor at the University of Maryland. He specializes in microbiology and specifically in emerging coronaviruses, which is good timing, I guess, for him. He joined us at uh, the Code Conference last year to talk on a panel called Pandemic Response Preparing for the Unplannable, which was kind of interesting uh, that we were ahead of that idea. Um, So it makes him the perfect person to teach us about what's going on with coronavirus. So, Matt, why don't you start by giving us the latest update, because it seemed like it was calm for a minute and then a spate of headlines today affecting the stock market, affecting everything. Sure. So uh, as of this morning, it's around 75,000, 79,000 people infected, um, a little over uh, 2,600 deaths, spreading now to 29 countries. And the really worrying part now is that uh, while a lot of the cases are in China, there is uh, emergence of cases in other countries around the world, including Iran, Italy, uh, now cases in Singapore, and, and really spreading into epicenters around the world. So tell us what we know about the virus and how it is spreading, how it's spreading. So this virus is similar to the standard coronaviruses that we know of that cause a common cold. So every winter, you don't know it, but there's four other human coronaviruses that give you a cold. Around 10 to 30 percent of the colds are coronaviruses. Uh, they give you runny nose, sore throat, cough, and that's it. And they go mm-hmm. away. And this virus is in the same family as the two other human coronaviruses um, uh, that we know of, SARS and MERS. Uh, it's really similar to SARS, which emerged in 2003 in China, and uh, except it's not as lethal as SARS. SARS was about 10% lethal, but it only spread to 8,000 people that we know of. So this is spreading at a much higher rate than the previous virus. Um, but now the, 
the case fatality rate is about two and a half percent. Um, uh, as we know of it right now. So it's spreading basically by coughs and sneezes. There seems to be potentially a fecal transmission route as well, mm-hmm. um, which makes it a little scarier. And uh, we're, it, it's spreading like a really bad cold virus. What is the danger here? Is the danger, obviously, you know, two and a half percent sounds low, but two and a half percent of several million people gets pretty pretty scary pretty fast. What is what is the, the doomsday scenario? What is what is how does this turn into something? How does how does the sum of all fears happen here? How have you modeled this out if things go really bad? So there's a lot of scenarios that could happen. I, the, I would say the worst case scenario is that it spreads around the world like a common cold. It, it's a new virus that we haven't seen before. There's no immunity. And it now spreads to a billion people. And so that 2% case fatality rate is probably not going to stay that high. Uh, that number is really high inside Hubei province in Wuhan in China. Outside of Wuhan, it's not that high at the moment. But we don't know the de- denominator. We don't know actually how many cases there are right. because there's 80% of the cases are either mild or asymptomatic cases. So we're probably only seeing the tip of that iceberg in those 79,000 cases. So it goes to a billion people and it may not be – the deaths may not be as high, but more people get it and the potential for that. Right. And, and even outside of that, there's a massive worry about the hospital system and healthcare system being overwhelmed. Right. And so what is being used the, now outside of China is basically mitigation practices. So this, this virus is out. It is going around countries. The second wave of the virus is now happening in countries around the world. The U.S. has been able to hold off this outbreak at the moment. Uh, and what the ideal scenario would be is that we mitigate and le- lessen the peak of the virus as it comes and it spreads out over multiple months so that the while there can be more um, mild cases, the healthcare system isn't overwhelmed. And so, like you said in the beginning, get your flu shot, um, do everything you can to not get sick over the next several months so that uh, you can mitigate and, and not have to go to the hospital. So when, when it turns into a pandemic, explain the difference between epidemic and pandemic. And th- th- that, that was the headlines, I think, which are affecting the stock market and everything else. The word pandemic is a frightening word. But. Absolutely. And so this is basically sem- semantics of, of what's going on. But uh, pandemic generally means that the virus has now had sustained spread in countries around the world. And so the where you have basically cases that are unlinked to their origin, so unlinked to China. But now you have person-to-person spread in countries uh, that are outside of this epicenter in Wuhan. And so that's what we're seeing now in, in, in Iran, probably. That's what we're seeing in Italy, um, Singapore, uh, and really many countries around the world. And there's no vaccine. There's no way to solve this, correct, at this point? Correct. So we don't have a vaccine. Uh, many are being developed right now as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's many therapeutics that are being tested and, and other types of antibodies and drugs that are being tested in labs around the world. I mean, if you remember two months ago, we didn't have any cases. Right. And now there's 79,000 plus. And that is a remarkable uh, increase in the speed. And so now that the labs around the world and, and healthcare centers around the world are getting online and testing therapeutics against this virus, we'll be able to hopefully in the very near future get something on the shelf, whether it's FDA-approved drugs or, or, or similar things that can be tested uh, in, in the lab and then really put into the clinic for use. So when this is the first major outbreak since 2003 and since China's become a global superpower. They're obviously linked to the global supply chain. And again, the market was affected. I hate to bring in business things, but the, the effect of what happens, this massive quarantine in China, um, Facebook canceling its, for example, lots of companies' um, annual marketing conference it was planning to host in San Francisco next month over concerns uh, where 5,000 people were expected to attend. Is this the right thing to do? Because China is so linked to the global supply chain, not just in making things and manufacturing, which people aren't going to work, but in terms of gatherings. And is that the is that the responsible thing to do? Is that the correct thing to do? 
So there's definitely two angles to this. And I'm definitely not an economist. I'm a virologist. So bear with me. But I think from the standpoint of the virus and trying to mitigate uh, and lessen the amount of spread, closing these meetings and, and canceling these, you know, massive Facebook meeting, which do we really need another massive Facebook meeting? I don't know. Um, <laughs> a funny you know, virologist. <laughs> uh, can we, you know, that we can get away with those things now. Yeah. And uh, and the more that if you're sick and, the, and you don't have to go to work and you can work from home, you know, this is the time for those companies to start planning those events, mm-hmm. right? That's what I talked about at the code conference was that when this thing happens, you ha- the com- companies should have secondary ways of communicating with their personnel, getting business done. Uh, when you're a factory in China, that's really hard. And right. so just today, the Chinese government is allowing companies to start bringing back employees that have been away in their hometowns for the Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. Which is the, when this hit. Which is when this hit, right? So one of the big worries is that now that people come back into these factories uh, are from, from outside uh, Hubei, will they now be a new susceptible population? And so there's you know, while the Chinese economy is obviously critical for the global supply chain, whether it's just um, uh, widgets for your doodad or whether it's other things that we need to uh, have around the world, I think it's a really hard call. And I, I, I'm glad I'm not the one making those calls because I don't know I don't know what the downside of uh, delaying this for a couple more weeks in China is. All right. Well, that's manufacturing. What about gathering? You know, there was a lot of different ideas. What, what, are the, what are, When you do these gatherings, when there's there's a lot of you know, networking happening all over the world. Is that just the best thing? Just stay home is essentially what you're saying. So in the context of when this virus is now coming, I mean, in the U.S. now, if you're having, you know, it's not like don't go to sporting events this week. But, you know, in the coming months is that that could easily be something that the CDC and the, and the U.S. government recommend is to eliminate these math gather, gatherings, whether it's churches, whether it's sporting events, whether it's concerts, whatever it is, to really reduce the spread of this virus. And, and even still, most American workers, when they're sick, they still go to work, right? Mm-hmm. We're really bad at, that. And that's why flu spreads so well and cold spreads so well. So if you do have an illness, you should stay home. Uh, most of the time, it's not hospital. You don't need to go to the hospital, especially with this virus. 80% are, are mild cases. But if you have a cold, you should stay home. You should wash your hands more. You should have social distancing, which is this um, idea of being a- away from people that are sick. And that's the way to mitigate the spread so you can really lessen the effect on the healthcare system. So, Dr. Dr. Freeman, I'm curious. So, stay at home when you're not feeling well. That seems to be just sound advice. Um, What about uh, in a few weeks, I'm supposed to go to Vienna, and a few weeks after that, I'm supposed to go to Sao Paulo. Would you advise corporations and individuals just to cut back on international travel for a while? So I really think it probably depends on the country you're going to, but clearly there's international spread of this virus um, uh, in Italy now, in northern Italy around um, I think it's the Lombardy region, around Milan and um, uh, and Lake Como. So hopefully Georgia mm-hmm. and Amal are okay. Um, the they're blo- they're telling everyone to stay inside. There's an outbreak there. Uh, they have something around 100 cases so far and six or seven deaths. And uh, the denominator there is probably much larger than we know. So you know whether Vienna is going to be spared in the you know in the coming weeks. Um, that's a big question, and I would watch your uh, State Department travel advisories closely to know. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much in South America, whether that's because of testing or lack of testing or whether it's because those viruses are not there yet is another question. But, um, you know, I don't think we're at the need to block total international travel yet. That's not really what the CDC or the government is recommending. But I think that in the coming weeks to months, you could see these recommendations really uh, broadening to other countries. And what advice would you have for elected officials and governments who distinct to the short-term tactics to try and push back on this specific coronavirus? What kind of long-term investments or actions do you think we need to take to be better prepared for something like this moving forward? 
So there definitely has to be control of the healthcare system. So that is where the money should be going to uh, to prop it up to to get PPE. So all the protective material they need to make sure that the healthcare system is taken care of. Hospitals have all the equipment they need and all the protection they need to protect the doctors and nurses and other staff. Because one, if the hospital workers get infected and they are sick, then it is yeah. a uh, it's a really hard thing for us to do. Uh, and so that's a really hard thing for the U.S. to handle. Um, that's why as much as you can do now to not get infected, to not get sick, and to really lengthen the process of this virus coming to the U.S. is the better that we can do. And and in terms of we don't we, you know we make predictions on pivot, but what do you, how do you game this in a typical you know an epidemic pandemic way? Or there isn't a game there. There are patterns of these things going correct or or not. Um, what are some of the scenarios you see over the next couple of months? Right. So the I think the coming scenarios are really um, kind of several fold. One idea is that the virus does have this large burst in China, that the other countries around the world can contain the cases they have, and we get localized spread and that's it. Right. That's a great scenario as we are right now. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said we want to keep, keep everything in China, one or two cases around the world, and that's it. And we clearly have gone through that. That scenario is over. Um so maybe all these countries around the world can really contain this. I think that it's questionable that that countries in um, even developed countries are really able to control the virus from spreading in the community. Um, the The big worry now is that it spreads to large population centers like Africa, um, multiple countries in Africa or India, where you really can have this rampant spread and you get these large bursts. Um, the other scenario is that this that the Populations in the countries are able to control the virus a bit, but then we still get this spread around the world, especially because the incubation period seems to be five or six days before you're infected. There's evidence that you can spread during your asymptomatic period, um, some, some evidence that that's true. And so now people are traveling around the world and bringing the virus with them and they don't know they're sick. And that's the big, uh, a big problem and a big worry about these kind of respiratory viruses. And if this virus gets to the U.S. and, and the Western Hemisphere in large numbers, then, um, you know, the genie is out of the bag. And, and that's where the, the, the ability to control the virus is really at the community and local level. Um, the government needs to give supplies to everybody that they can to, admit, to control this outbreak. And I think that the CDC will call in a lot of the pandemic response um, capabilities that they have, which includes, you know, potentially closing schools, closing businesses, making, telling people to work from home. Um, I mean, that's long term, right? This is this is downstream scenario. But I think that's, you know, scenario four or five down the list. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, these have not borne out like SARS. The others. 100%. Absolutely. Right. So uh, even 2009 H1N1 epidemic, the flu epidemic in 2009, um, the swine flu epidemic, um, you know, there wasn't schools closed. There wasn't this this plan that that happened. Um, but that is, you know, we're planning for basically a combination, you know, middle ground between SARS and flu. And that is what the CDC is trying to understand and model. And um, I will leave it to them to figure out what the right scenario is in the future. Um, I'm going to ask one more question. Scott may have one more. Is Are we eventually going to have something that is not controllable? I mean, when you think, when you're, 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 you study microbiology or biologists, do you, is that sort of the, the great worry? It's sort of like nuclear proliferation, that kind of thing. Do you, is there a feeling that that is where we're headed eventually? As a human race? Yes. I think that the immune response in the people are remarkably resilient to these kind of infections. And so uh, whether it's this infection or, or any other infection. And so the, we won't have, you know, massive billion people dead. That's not the scenario at all. Um, 
Uh, I will say that the the population that is most uh, has severe cases from this is 60 and older. So, you know, is there a more severe outbreak in elderly and uh, comorbid and immunocompromised? Absolutely. Um, Where this goes in the future, you know, who knows? Um, I think when SARS emerged in 2003, uh, this when we started working on it, then this was a um, it was a new thing. It was the first epidemic uh, or outbreak of the. 20th century or 21st century. And and then MERS, another related virus, uh, emerged in Saudi Arabia. It's still spreading. It emerged in 2012. And everything we predicted for SARS when we said, maybe this will happen in the future again, we should really study it, um, happened in 2012. And after MERS, we said, hmm, okay, well, it doesn't transmit that well, but it's 35% lethal. We should still study this too and really understand and develop therapeutics as fast as we can. Um, and we still don't have everything on the shelf to give anyone. And now again, now in 2019, you know, there's now three emerging coronaviruses in 18 years. This isn't going away and it'll just keep coming. And so what we do know is that we learn more and more from every one of these outbreaks. And so that's the good thing that we learn in the lab. That's the good thing we learn in the clinic. And hopefully this, will, this outbreak will develop therapeutics that prepares for the next one that we don't even know occurs. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is how do we um, – everything we're talking about is a reaction to an outbreak. How do we start to play offense instead of defense and that is go to the very source of where these viruses are manifested? Is there anything we can do to to just ensure these things ne- you know, never happen? So it's impossible to, I think, game Mother Nature and to make sure they never happen. The, but these viruses that we know of, especially SARS and this – and uh, SARS-2 or whatever we're calling this new mm-hmm. virus, COVID-19. Um, the name seems COVID-19. to change. COVID-19 is the yeah. disease the WHA calls it. Yeah, I was um, obsessively Googling it this weekend, yes. but go ahead. <laughs> so they uh, both of them emerged, uh, probably emerged from animal sources. So these are bat viruses that have spilled over into people. Hmm. And whether they've gone through an animal intermediate, like it did for SARS, went through civet cats. We don't know the animal intermediate for this one. Um, but it looks like it came from an animal. And all m- most coronaviruses have been tracked back to bats at some level. And so bats? there is bats. Yeah. why Jesus. bats. Uh, that's a whole. You need me another hour for that. All right. um, uh, but there, there is a, inter- a interaction between animals and humans, and the more interaction there is, the more of these spillover events that can occur. And so there's a lot of people that work on that animal side, uh, trying to track these viruses to understand where they come from and how they get to people um, and how often this happens. And what the data shows is that this happens all the time, hmm. and most of the time they're dead ends. But every once in a while, you get the wrong virus with the wrong mutation in the wrong person, and then they spread. And that's it. And so that's what we have. Amazing. And Matt, from bats— is, Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just curious. From, uh, from, from bats to animals to humans, is it bites? Is it fecal matter? How does it, how does it make the jump? Yeah, so nobody really understands, even for SARS, how it went from bats to—, to um, to civet cats, to humans, or, or bats, potentially to this, whatever the intermediate is for this one, to humans. Um, you know, it potentially is fecal matter, potentially it's saliva. Um, if you watch Contagion, the last two minutes yeah. of Contagion have a great scenario uh, of uh, basically Nipah virus, which is bats eating a piece of fruit. They drop in the pig pen. The uh, farmer picks the pig up, sends it to market, um, and then Gwyneth Paltrow dies, right? Yes. So, uh, that's that. That's a Ooh, scenario like that of part. where this goes. Is that on, is that on Netflix? <laughs> Stop! Is that oh on God. Netflix? Oh, you can watch it this weekend. Contagion. Thanks. I like the Dustin Hoffman movie. Outbreak. I'm going to ask you the weirdest question, and then we got to go. All I watch. You know, I'm a plague obsessed person. Um, I watch all of them. Which of the many outbreak? Yes, of course. Where Dustin Hoffman's with the with the helicopter with Cuba. Yeah, Cuba, Cuba Jr. Jr. saves the world saves with the world. one monkey in a van. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and they yeah. put some monkey. So what? Um, wh- is there any of them that are really good? Where you're like, okay, that's 
So Contagion was really good. Yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, about a 45-second scene where um, uh, the... I'm blanking on her name. Uh, where there's an explanation of the r naught, which is the transmissibility factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a beautiful way of explaining this to the general public of how viruses spread from person to person and how we characterize that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the, the, the speed of that movie is quite rapid about how it spreads and spreads. And mm-hmm. um, it's a combination of viruses that are shown there or they're, they're displayed in, that movie, in the movie. But I think the last two minutes of that movie where they show the um, interaction between bats and animals and humans is completely realistic and completely legitimate. Um, and I think that, that contagion is a great way of understanding, you know, potentially how the worst-case scenario goes. All right. Oh, goodness sake. Some, some beautiful <laughs> enjoyment for your week, for your entertainment week. It actually is a great movie. It is a terrific it movie. It all comes back uh, to Netflix. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. It all comes back <laughs> to Netflix. Stay home and watch Netflix so you do not get yeah. the virus, right? Yeah. Right. So, you know, from a business Netflix perspective. Netflix and chill. Netflix, Disney Plus, you know, if you have kids. I don't know. God, the tech industry is going to do something good for once. As we can talk on Slack. It's so nice to have someone on the program that is actually adding value to the world. Dr. (laughs) Freeman, you are a gangster. Thanks so much for your good. We really appreciate. This is Matt Freeman. He's a he's an associate professor at the University of Maryland. He specializes in microbiology. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks, Thanks, Doctor. Okay, Scott. How do you feel now? What's their temperature, so to speak? I just listen to that guy and I start to feel faint. Don't you? Don't you start to feel like? Yeah, I, I just start. He to shook feel, my hand, so yeah, that's a good sign. That is a good he sign. He didn't like. There was no mask wearing. There was no non-hand shaking and stuff like that. My nose is running. Um, anyway, is it? I've been sick all, all all winter. I've been. I've had a cold and flu all winter. Um, that's but just because you're really old. That's just aging. That's true. That's just aging. <laughs> I'm getting close <laughs> to that. That's a virus called aging. Of the dying people. Um, I, I do not joke about oh, viruses. I, I do have an obsession with them, though. Um, anyway, so wins and fails. Obviously, Matt wins. Uh, but but wins and fails of this week. Uh, would you like to go first? So my gangster colleague, Professor Adam Alter, talks about how in periods of stress, w- rom-coms do really well. And then when the economy mm-hmm. is good, depressing you know, movies about whatever, about the war wars or something do really well. So I'm not going to have a fail because I feel like it feels kind of scary out there right now. My mm-hmm. win is Diary of a Future President. I wrote a post. Uh, every Friday I write a post on No Mercy, No Malice um, at mm-hmm. profgalloway.com. Thank you very much. Uh, and this last week I wrote about moments of engagement um, uh, with my sons. And one of the ways we have moments of engagement as a family, and again, it all comes back to Netflix, is we find we all vote on a program that we want to watch, and then we all watch it together, and it's nice. And the program we're watching now is Diary of a Future President, and it's on Disney+. Plus, and it's really, uh, it's really wonderful. It's uh, about a single mom, so obviously it tugs at it tugs in my heart, but it's it touches on a lot of. I think it's actually quite for Disney Plus. It touches on a lot of you know fairly uncomfortable, uh, or it, 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 it's pretty open and honest about what it's like to be a, a, a girl. I think, not that I know too much about this in junior high school, and I think it's. I just think it's a lovely show, and my sons are learning a lot, and I think they do a great job, and we're bonding over it. So kudos. To Tess Romero, who is a lovely young actress and does a great job. The woman who plays a single mother is yeah, great. Yeah, I've heard this is an amazing. I, I want to see it. It's I, about a single mother in, a, I think, a Cuban-American household raising mm-hmm. her son and her daughter. And I think it's. I think it just works on a lot of levels. Anyways, my win is Diary of a Future President. It's a good choice. It's You know, I like that you watch sort of teen. That's, a, that's aimed at the teen market, you know. 
Yeah. That's aimed at – but I like that you're a teen market watcher of stuff. I do too. I watch that. I watch that stuff. stuff. What, what are your wins and fails, Kara? Uh, I, I, there was just a recent interview with Warren Buffett that I just loved. I think everyone should – two things. Two things you should watch. Wins is uh, uh, John Oliver did an amazing uh, first show about um, Medicare for All and stuff like that. I thought it was great. And I think well, it was interesting. All the young people I know watched it uh, and talked about it quite a bit. My kids and their friends and, and other kids I've talked to have talked about that. I thought that was great. And then Warren Buffett gave an interview today saying he's never going to own cryptocurrency. He talked about Apple being great. He talked about coronavirus. I just like listening to him go on. Oh. On CNBC, um, he did an interview on yeah, CNBC. Yeah, I thought it yeah. was great. I thought it was really great, and uh, I like um, uh, uh, one of the things he said is, "I'm a Democrat, but I'm not a card carrying Democrat." It is, however, a card carrying capitalist. We'll see what happens. It sounds like right. he's not too happy with Bernie Sanders. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I thought that was. I think they're both very entertaining in their own way. So I, I like those. Um, and then fail is, uh, you know, the slowness of these companies still uh, putting out warnings. Uh, the 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 stuff that the national security advisor was talking about this weekend about how he n- had not seen any uh, analysis of the Russians interfering with the elections I thought was 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 um, malpractice on the part of a national security advisor um, maybe he didn't read them or didn't look at them but these appointments of people like him and uh, Richard I think it's Richard Grinnell who is totally incompetent to the job and seems like a son of a bitch. Um, it is, uh, I think putting these people in these things is the ultimate, uh, danger to our world. Um, and it's really important that we have competent people acting and telling the truth about things that are going on, even if it's not to their interest. And the, the, the two national, the, the, the situation with national security right now, which is critical in this point with coronavirus, all these big issues facing the world and false statements and, uh, things, I think, uh, we're leaving it to these companies to, 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 to battle this stuff. Now, Twitter's experimenting with putting uh, labels, uh, red labels, orange labels under false statements, that's really, it's the fig leaf of what we need to have happen here. And and the fact that this is what this is the best we have is little labels saying this is a lie is just depressing to me in the extreme. Thank you very much. There you go. What are you doing this week? What are you up to this week? What's a jungle cat doing this week? I am going to Miami tomorrow. Oh, nice. And then uh, and at the Night Foundation uh, uh situation. There's an event there. Yeah. And then I'm going to San Francisco. I'm going to San Francisco, and I'm doing a lot of things in San Francisco. I'm yeah. doing a lot of interviews. I am spending some time there. I am going all around the place um, and uh, interviewing Mark Benioff next week, for example. Nice. Um, all kinds of stuff. So I'm going back to see what's going on in San Francisco. I just did an amazing interview with Connor Doherty. Uh, he wrote a book called Golden Gates. It's about the fight for housing in uh, in America, um, and I'm interested in in, uh, in checking in with a lot of tech people there. I bet. Well, good. Safe travels. What are you doing? Uh, so I go back to New York tomorrow night, and then next week I'm going to L.A. for a reunion with my fraternity brothers from UCLA, and then I'm speaking at a friend's high school, which I'm excited about. Oh, that's so nice. Isn't well, that wash nice? your hands, Scott. Isn't that wash nice? your hands, yeah. as Matt, as Dr. Friedman says. There you <laughs> wash go. your hands. And be careful when you travel and make sure that you, you isolate yourself the minute you feel sick. Thank you. Did you say isolate yourself it. the moment you feel what? Sexy? Sick. That happens sick. all the time. No. <laughs> Have you seen me? How You're can not I not feel sex sexy joke all the time? Out of coronavirus. No. It's not okay. happening on this okay. show. All You're right. gonna be okay. grave about the situation. Okay. You're gonna have grave Warnings for people. It's a very serious issue. All right. We should all be concerned about. There's okay. no sex jokes here. Do you okay. understand that? No. All right. Seriously. 
Okay, we're going to have a shout-out today uh, to C.U. Yang, I think that's correct the way I pronounce it, who sent us a very thoughtful and personal email about how she was comforting her friends in China struggling through the quarantine and coronavirus outbreak. Our listeners' personal insights generally do make the show stronger, so keep your emails coming and email us at pivot at voxmedia.com to be featured on the show or just tell us what you think of what we're doing. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Erica Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks also to Rebecca Castro and Drew Burrows. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts or, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us later in the week when we'll break down all things tech and business. Stay safe out there, Kara. Stay safe, Scott. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.